Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, September 18th, 2022. Today's sermon is about the true Nazarite. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org. Click the current sermons link at the top and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. We're going to veer off today, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to have a place to to look at, turn to uh, Judges chapter 13, and we'll come back there in a minute. But I normally don't tell stories uh, often, just things that are going on, but um, I just want to tell a story that was encouraging to me this week and also maybe to help us to think about a couple things, really not sermon related yet, um, but just uh, a lot of you know I go up and run sometimes in the mornings in the park in downtown Kannapolis and things, maybe you don't know that at all, you're thinking he's not a runner, he's the guy on the side of the road, you think he's going to fall over. At any time when you see me running, but I was coming through, I was all sweaty, I'd finished up, had my earplugs in, I was listening to my World War II, the admirals on the, the war in the Pacific, so I came upon this man sitting in the park, and, and he just spoke to me, and he said, hey, how are you? And I said, pulled my earplugs out, turned it off, said, I'm listening to a book on, you know, and uh, he said, well, I, I, was, uh, I was in the Marines, and my name is right over there. Because if you've been to Kannapolis, you see all the names in the Veterans Park. So I thought, what an opportunity. And so, first thing I asked him, I said, what's your name? And he said, my name's, well, I won't tell you his name, but um, I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 96. He looked better than some of us in here. And he was walking better than I felt like I was walking at that time. And, and so, I thought, what an opportunity. There I am listening to this book about World War II, he was a Marine, and he jumped off. I talked to him a little bit, and he was coming off the ships there and going into these islands there is, you know, with Japan. And, and here he is. He's 96 years old. He didn't look it. He didn't act it. He was walking very fast and briskly, and his mind was fine. So I thought, Lord, what an opportunity. So I asked him, I said, are you a religious man? And so it was really just wanting to try to share the gospel with him. And he started talking to me a little bit. He said, you know, I used to go to church some, a Baptist church. This interview, Baptist in Kannapolis, and, uh, but I don't go much anymore, so I don't consider myself very religious. And then he changed the subject on me, so I walked away. And then I just felt, John, you cannot let this 96-year-old man get out of there. So I ran down the street after him a couple minutes later and just put my hand on his shoulder. I said, uh, I think his last, well, anyway, I won't say his names, but I just, I said, sir, you're 96 years old. God has given you a long time, and I just cannot not take this opportunity to say, you know, I, I, I pray and I urge you to trust in Jesus. He is God's son. And this is, you know, I just shared a little bit about the gospel. And of course, he just listened and he didn't say anything. Um, but I, I just wanted to share that story just by way of you, you guys to keep me accountable and me to keep you guys accountable that we should be looking during the week and, and then even be bold and take some steps to talk to people. And also, 96 years old, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but God has given this man 96 years. And so the way he looked, he could have another 20. But uh, I just wanted to share that story. Be encouraged. And, you know, I'm praying for you to be bold. Pray for me to be bold. And, uh, and also know that we don't know what tomorrow will hold. Um, and so with that in mind, um, I am, uh, I'm veering off today. Our topic last week, if you'll remember, was a prophecy from, from Psalm 40. And the author of Hebrews was saying, he was quoting Psalm 40 to say, Jesus 
is the appointed person of God to be this sacrifice, to fulfill all of those animal sacrifices. And He will come and He will do my will and He will delight in my will, a body I, you have prepared for me. And so that was last week's sermon. So we see this picture of this servant. Even as I, you know, Isaiah reading this morning, Behold, Isaiah 42, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth, forth justice to the nations. And then it can, continues to go. But there was so prophesied as this one who would come. And we, we know this clearly, that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to veer off today and talk about the topic of a Nazarite. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, the true Nazarite, in fact, is the name of my sermon as we consider the life of Samson. But let me, let me pray and, and ask the Lord just to help us as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this day again. Another day. Father, our sins are great, but your mercy is more. And as you hid Moses from your glory and hid him, hid him in the cleft of the rock, even as we sing, sing today, in that same kind of picture, we are hidden behind the blood of Christ in this cleft, this rock who is Christ. And our sins, you don't see them. Father, from the perspective of our standing you do not see our sins. Yes, we sin today. And yes, there are consequences. Of course you see them. But you don't hold them against us anymore. Because of the one great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. I pray that he would increase today. I pray this picture of Samson might help us this week. As we consider the great sacrifice of Christ. I pray that, that I would decrease. That we would decrease, Father. And in spite of me, that you would work greatly. We just give you this time, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, we will be back in Hebrews 10 next week. But like I say, for today, if you want to turn to Judges chapter 13. Um, and as I spoke about, Hebrews 5, 10 verses 5 to 7 last week says this, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will. So we think about it's what Jesus came to do. Your will, set apart as holy. And so the author of Hebrews is just quoting Psalm 40 to show that Jesus is that perfect fulfillment of the obedience required by the law of God, the holiness of God. And so if we think back to before the foundations of the world, we think about a conversation, if we can do that, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father says to the Son, will you go? And I, I'm simplifying that. It's a great mystery. But the Son says to the Father, I will go. I will accomplish your will. I will do what only I can do. For the blood of bulls and goats could never atone for our sins. There must be one capital one, 
who would not only lay down his life as a sacrifice, but be unlike those animals as one who would completely, obediently, with the heart, obey God fully. And then, when he laid down his life as a sacrifice, then what, God does, what does God say about that sacrifice? I accept it. It is good. It is unlike the Old Testament sacrifices of bulls and goats. And that is why we are here today. We worship as Christians in the name of Jesus because Jesus came to do the will of God. Even as Jeremiah read Romans 5.8, but God showed, commanded, demonstrated His love towards us and while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at, well, I'll read chapter 10. Of how, excuse me, verse 10 of chapter 10 in Hebrews. By that will, this is the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So with that as an introduction, I want to veer off and talk about the term, the truth, Nazarite. Have you ever heard a term Nazarite before? Um, I think most of us probably have. Do you know what Nazarite means? Well, it means to, it's translated as to set apart or to dedicate um, to the Lord. So he set something apart. God, I dedicate this to you and for this purpose only. We see the term in the Old Testament, number six, first time. God says, when either a man or a woman, because it could be a man or a woman, in fact, with Samson's mother, we see that she is also a Nazarite. But when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, no razor shall touch his head, and he shall not go near a dead body. So we see those three things. As this person who says, I make a vow, I dedicate myself to the Lord, or someone else dedicates that person to the Lord, no, no strong drink, no razor cutting the hair, and then finally not, not to go near a dead body. Though there are specifics for a Nazarite who does have to bury a, a family member to be cleansed after that. But they cannot go near the dead body in general speaking. And so as recorded here in Numbers, a man or a woman would devote himself to the Lord and be called a Nazarite. Do you remember Hannah? The mother of Samuel. She could not have a child. Finally, she has a child and she says in 1 Samuel 1 about this child, no razor shall touch his head. So we have an indication that probably there some way Samuel was some type of Nazarite in that light. Well, <clears throat> when I think of the word Nazarite or when you think of the word Nazarite, does one main person come to mind? Well, I hope it is the Lord Jesus which we're going to get there, but besides the Lord Jesus, who comes to mind? Samson, arguably the Hercules of the Bible. It is amazing the miraculous ways that he acts, and we're going to get to that later on in the ser sermon as I talk through his life just a little bit. But Samson is one of the judges of Israel. In fact, Samson is the very first recorded Nazarite in the Bible, Judges 13 to 16, which is where I'm going to be reading from in a moment. And as a Nazarite, he pictures, when we think of Samson, so this morning, and when you read 
the Old Testament in the coming days, and we're thinking about the book of Hebrews, that system was a copy and a shadow of the, of the substance. So in, in this kind of a way, Samson is a picture, I believe, a type of the one to come. And so the Nazarite, really, it's kind of like Melchizedek. There's the picture. It's put in the Bible. Not that we just preach a good sermon about Samson and give some principles. We can do that. In fact, we would do that if I were preaching through it in and of itself. But I'm using Samson as a springboard to us to say, that Nazarite, dedicated out to do the will of God, is a picture of the true Nazarite dedicated to do the will of God, which comes from Hebrews. So today, I'm going to alarm you now and say I have eight truths, because I do. I got eight. Normally, I have two or three, and we go for a long time. We're going to go about the same period of time with eight truths. They're a lot shorter. Some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. As to the parallels that come from Samson to Jesus. So this is, this is an interesting, different kind of sermon today. Not a lot of applications, but there'll be some. And I got this from A.W. Pink as I'm studying through Hebrews, and he pointed these things out. So the first, first way we see the comparison between Samson and the Lord Jesus. An angel announced to his mother her conception. So in Judges 13, if, you want to, if you're there, verse 1. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And so that's probably talking about the last judge that came and then they were disobedient again. They were turned over to the Philistines. They are breaking the covenant of God and here we see their punishment. And these times when we read the book of Judges, we're often we're like, wow. Can you believe what was going on in Israel with these judges? It's, it reads like a soap opera. It reads like a, a pagan nation. It reads like, wow, how in the world is that? can that be the people of God? And so these are often called the dark ages of Israel in the Old Testament. But through these times of disobedience, God graciously keeps His people going and he raises up judges or leaders. And so in our story, we have a husband and a wife, Zorah and Manoah. And they have no children because Manoah could not have any children. She was barren, okay? That's what verse, that's what verse 2 tells us. She couldn't have any children. We don't know for what reason. We're not told. But then the angel of the Lord appears to her. By the way, this, I'm not going to talk about it today, but this angel of the Lord was, was later worshipped when they asked for his name. And so this angel of the Lord is no Gabriel or Michael or not another angel. This, this appearance of this man, this, she calls him a man, a man from God, man of the Lord, I believe is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus because later on they ask, Who is your, what's your name? And he says, my name is Wonderful. And he goes up into the, there are sacrifices there. So I'm not going to talk about that today, but that is who this angel of the Lord was in that time. But here's what the angel of the Lord says to Manoah. Behold, you are barren and you have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Behold, no razor shall come upon his head. There's the reference to the Nazarite. 
For the child will be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Does this sound familiar to you? In Luke, we read these words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Very interesting to me. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so there we see very clearly that the angel came to Samson in that way as she was barren, and then we see the angel coming to Mary. That's one comparison. Another comparison. The prophecy of the angel is recorded for us. Now, I am sure that throughout the Scriptures and throughout history, at other times, other occasions, angels have appeared to God's people and to others, for that matter. Because Hebrews 13, we haven't got there, says, Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. But... This particular time with Manoah and Zorah, this prophecy is recorded to us. And if we go back to Hebrews 10, verse 7, speaking of Christ, the author says, quoting Psalm 40, saying, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So in the same way, we have the message of Gabriel to Mary recorded for us, particularly in the book of Luke. And so we see that comparison as well. Another comparison. He was sent, the angel of the Lord was sent to a woman utterly barren to show her conception was a miracle. It was extraordinary. It's clear from the text that Manoah could not have any children. That was a point. To have a child would be a miracle. It was like Sarah in her old age. She could not have children. In, in fact, it was impossible for her body to bear a child and give birth. Now, with Mary, Mary was not barren in the same way. Because she was young. And then we see that she has other children after the Lord Jesus. But the point is that the conception of Jesus was miraculous. This is the virgin birth or the conception there. In Luke 1.34, Mary questions the angel and she says, How can this be? I am a virgin. You see, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. It's kind of like our engagement time okay, in our day. She was not married Yet, but she may as well have been in that contract, in that betrothal. And so she was saying, I have not been with my husband. Because to do so would be sinful. And it is sinful today for any of us, anybody, to have relations outside of marriage. I don't care what it is. 
And she was was saying, I cannot sin. How can I have a child? It would be a miracle, she was saying. The angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the angel also says to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. We go back to Hebrews 10, verse 5. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That was last week's sermon. There is the incarnation of Christ. So as Samson's birth was miraculous, so we have the miraculous birth of the Son of God. This is the incarnation. That's another comparison. Fourth, her son was to be a Nazarite. That is, one who is holy to God, H-O-L-Y. So a Nazarite is set apart as holy to the Lord. Number 6-8 says, all of the, of the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. So I'm not sure um, if I'm, I haven't done my studies on this particularly, but I think a, a Nazarite could be a Nazarite for a time, but then not be a Nazarite for a time. So, and so, but the point is, all of the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. So as we consider the life of Samson, At least in my estimation, he wasn't a very godly man. From one perspective, he went against the wishes of his parents to marry an Israelite, excuse me, to to marry a Philistine woman instead of an Israelite. In fact, if you look at the text, probably we're looking at two marriages. The first one was the betrothal, and we'll see that, his, that she was taken away and actually killed. And then the second, he loved Delilah, but there were two marriages. And at the least, when we think about the life of Samson, he was mischievous. He was deceitful. He was disobedient to his parents, at least that he wanted to marry a foreign woman and not one from the tribes of Israel. And then he used his relationships to provoke the Philistines, to start a fight. He was a man who was ready to go and start a fight with the Philistines. And as we will see in a moment, Samson was not very godly, not very holy as a Nazarite, was he? He was not a picture of godliness. He was set apart, designated by God with a special place in Israel's history. And I must say, if I were preaching this passage on its own, one of the main truths I see is the great providence of God to use a sinful man to lead Israel, to protect them, and then to humble and defeat the Philistines at that particular time in history. In spite of his great sins, at the end of his life, he is very, very humble. And later in the book, he is listed, later in the book of Hebrews, he will be listed as one of those men who had great faith. I, I, am, I always tell people, you know, even that gentleman I spoke to this week, I said, God, it's not how we start the race, it's how we finish the race. And God is a God of grace. And those of us and those who are older than me know exactly what I'm talking about because the sins and the things of this life that grip us and keep pulling us. As a young man, I thought, you know what, I'm going to get victory over that sin. And then it'll never pop its head up again. Brothers and sisters, indwelling sin is there 
And it keeps going in many ways. And yes, we get victory. And yes, we get godly. But you know what I'm talking about. But in our hearts, we know. And we're often accused by Satan. And we know we have such sins. Well, God continues to work. And we see that with Samson. And there's so much about Samson we don't know. But we see him in the hall of faith in Hebrews. And particularly, at the end of his life, he is this great example. And we see that God works all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. The same is true with us. We see that God preserves His people. If He did not preserve us, if He does not keep John Sherrill, John Sherrill will go away. I will go my own way. I'm not just prone to wander, as the famous hymn says. I, I, I will wander. It is God miraculously keeps me. I, I, can't, I can't explain that. If it were not for the grace and mercy of God in keeping me, I would go away. And I think you would go away as well. And so we praise God for that. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. And He works all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. But for our purpose today, Samson, even though he was ungodly, he was a picture Picture of Christ, the true Holy One of God. Did you know, as I looked up the word Holy One in the Old Testament, you know it's spoken of of God time after time after time. That's one of His designations, the Holy One, the Holy One of God, over and over and over again. Isaiah 43, verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Your Savior. Isaiah 43, 14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, <clears throat> he starts speaking to Jesus about eternal life. And Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? Because there is only one who is good. Yet Mark tells us right from the beginning of his Gospels that Jesus is called the Holy One. How can we call a man the same thing that we would call God? Why would we do that? Well, we would not ever do that if he were not God. And that is the point. In Mark 1, 24, the first to recognize Jesus as the Holy One of God are the demons. And they say to Jesus right from the beginning as he encounters them, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's interesting, he uses the word, those demons use the word Nazareth. It's interesting. Where did Jesus come from? Jesus of Nazareth. He is both a Nazarene, say from China Grove. I don't know what you call a person from China Grove. You from Kannapolis used to call, call them lint heads. But I don't know what you call someone from Nazarene. I'm sure they had their words, but he was also a Nazarite. In the Apostle Paul's very first sermon in, in Acts 13, he speaks of Psalm 16, which says, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. So here he speaks of the resurrection, but he calls Jesus what only God can be called, the Holy One. So do you see this picture? He is set apart as the only Holy One. And so we see all the, the, the bad things about Samson. That's 
four comparisons. Fifth comparison. Her son was to be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. Judges 13, 5. If you still got your finger there. We read of Samson. He shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Samson was set apart from when? From his very conception. Even while he was in his mother's womb. Let me just say quickly, on a side note, that the Bible teaches clearly that we are persons at conception. This is mysterious. How can a group of cells be a person? But that is what the Bible teaches. It is true. This is why we as Christians, we, we, we show grace. God forgives those who commit abortion, which is murder. However, it is wrong. This is why we oppose abortion, mainly because, first and foremost, we are created in the image of God right from conception. We are people. And it's not something that, that we agree to disagree on, in my estimation. But we must preach the dignity in person right from the womb. So, so from before Samson was born, he was set apart as a person, as a man, to be a Nazarite. In the same way, if we look forward to Jesus, says, the Bible says he was set apart in the womb. Luke 1, 31, the angel says to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Sixth comparison. It was declared that her son, Samson, would be a deliverer of Israel. Now, this is where we're going to spend a little bit of, a few minutes here. Tell a little bit more of the story of Samson. So it was declared right from the beginning that he would be a deliverer of Israel. In those days, Israel was being suppressed and ruled by an ungodly nation, the Philistines. And so it was said of this man, he will deliver Israel from the Philistines. The angel says to Manoah, For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So you see, at the very dark time in Israel's history, they were being ruled by this ungodly nation called the Philistines. Because of their great rebellion to God's covenant, chapter 13, verse 1 says, The Lord gave them over to the Philistines for 40 years. So when Samson, we talk about his birth, okay? But then all of a sudden, we start in chapter 13, we see the birth of Samson. And then in, in, in chapter 14, 15, and 16, we see him as a man. Which is very much what we see with the Lord Jesus. We don't... Get, get what happened to him until the beginning of his ministry. So now we see Samson at the beginning of his time as a judge. And so <clears throat> when Samson became a man, God used him to defeat the Philistines for some 20 years or more. And let's just think about Samson's life. So if you, This is the story part of the sermon. Samson, when he came of age... He saw one of those Philistine women who was beautiful to him. And he said to his father, give her to me. 
that is the one I want to marry. It was very much like when I met Kristen. She's the one. Sorry, honey. But she was the one. She gets on me when I mention her name sometimes in the sermon. But I, I did go to her mother because her, her father had passed away. And I asked her for her mother later on for hand in marriage. But I thought, she is the one for me. And so Samson was saying, this is the woman for me. Go and get her for me. Which was sinful because he wasn't supposed to marry outside of his tribe. And so his parents tried to talk him out of it. And chapter 14, verse 4 says, His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. So even there, the Lord had put it on his heart, this sinful man who is doing something sinful. This is a great mystery. He's not supposed to do that. But yet, God is not the author of sin. We know that very clearly. But yet God put it on his heart that in some way, Samson would defeat the Philistines. So there he is, and he wants this Philistine woman. And throughout his young life, Samson is also always, though he loves these Philistine women, he's also fighting against the Philistines. Seems that he's always hanging out with the Philistines. He's throwing parties. He's giving Riddles, it's almost like Batman and Robin with a new riddle for them to solve. One time, he kills a lion. If you remember the story, he kills this lion with his bare hands. Doesn't say anything, he just killed the lion with his bare hands, tore him apart, which was a miracle. And then, somehow or another, very quickly, we don't know how long, but some bees come and take up their residence inside the carcass of the lion. And then the bees make honey right in the middle of the lion. And then so he grabs somehow, we're not told all the details. Somehow or another, he grabs the honeycomb up at the honey and he eats it himself and he takes the honey from the lion to, to others, his parents, to eat with him. And so that's, that's an interesting story as we start to see the Spirit of God working in this man in physical strength. And so finally... His wish comes true. His father goes and there's an agreement. There's a betrothal. He's supposed to marry this Philistine woman. And uh, so what he does, he goes down. It's, to me, it's like a, 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 at, the, at the wedding arrangements, the big party. He tells a riddle about the lion and the, and the uh, honey that came out of the lion. And there's no way that anybody could ever guess this riddle. I, I wonder about that sometimes in the Bible. It's kind of an unfair bet. And so... Samson bets these Philistines that they cannot get his riddle. And if they lose, if they can't get it, then they're going to give him 30 pieces of clothing, okay, or garments. But if he loses the bet, then he has to give up 30 pieces of clothing to them. Well, this Philistine woman tells him the secret. They win the bet, and then Samson is outraged. So, like it or not, this is, the, this is part of Judges. He goes, you remember what he did? He kills 30 Philistines. This man, he murders them, he kills them. Now, there's a lot we could talk about there, but he kills these men. He takes their clothing and he pays off the debt for, these, for this debt that he lost in this bet. And then this makes the Philistines very upset and angry. And so 
they want to get him. And he still wants to provoke them in some way. Probably, I don't know, having, hoping that there'll be some type of war with Israel and they'll rebel and Israel will once again be sovereign. And so then what does he do? <laughs> I don't know. Has anybody ever been on a fox hunt? Curious. I'm just curious. Anybody ever been on a fox hunt? <laughs> I don't think I've ever met. I see it in England all the time. They're, they're going on their fox hunts. But Samson goes on a fox hunt. And how many does he catch? Do you remember? 300 foxes. Another miracle, for sure. And what does he do? He ties their tails together. And in order to get back at the Philistines, 300 foxes, ties their tails together, and he lights a torch, and he puts the torch in between all of their tails so that they're going to be running all over the place like this, through the, through the grain fields of the Philistines and cause all of, their, all of their fields to be burned up. He's an arsonist as well. And so that's what happens. So I can't imagine how much money and time and effort was lost. And they are still extremely angry. So at this time, they're ready to send out a posse to go and get Samson. Okay, They're going to they're gonna do whatever it takes to get this man. And so Israel's getting involved a little bit now. And so the men of Israel are saying, what are you trying to do, Samson? Are you trying to start a war? So 3,000 Israelites come before the Philistines get there. And Samson lets them bind him. He says, don't kill me, just bind me. So they tie his hand. I don't know hands front or back, but they tie his hands with, with new ropes. And then they give him over to the Philistines. You remember what happens next? The Bible says the, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in power and he breaks the ropes like they are water. I couldn't imagine taking a, some, some duct tape or something trying to break that, much less new ropes. And then another miracle. He takes this bone from a donkey and he kills a thousand men by himself. This Man, this is the man, guys. This is him. And so then, as we continue the story, some time passes. And this is not a good thing either. Samson enters a Philistine city and he finds a prostitute. And he is there for that evening. People of the city find out he is there and they're going to wait till the morning and they're going to ambush him again and try and kill him. What does he do? He gets up in the middle of the night. He goes to the gates of the city, which is supposed to protect the city. And he picks the gates up, puts them on his back, and carries them up the hill out of the city. I have a hard time picking up two or three chairs, much less putting gates, which is very interesting to me. Because he literally, the Bible often says, when one country, one nation takes over another nation, they possess the gates of the city literally this Nazarite who pictures Jesus who will one day possess the gates of the city pictures this Samson pictures the Lord Jesus and he literally possesses the gates of his enemies and then the story keeps going he falls in love with another Philistine woman do you remember her name Delilah we often hear the story, Samson and Delilah. And 
He keeps being with her, being with her, being with her. He loves her, whatever. And she wants to know, what is your secret? Where does your strength come from? And so she can go and tell the Philistines. Because they had secretly given her money that he, she might go and tell on him. Tell his secret to them so that then they might be able to somehow subdue him and, and find out what his secret is. So a number of times there, he just fools with her. Again, we see Samson just fooling with her, telling her all these ways that things that, that are not true, and then the Philistines will come upon him, and he just busts out of whatever has happened, and he overcomes them again, and they never can catch him. And so finally... Finally, he tells her his secret. And I, 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 there's a lot of mystery here. I understand why in the world he told her his secret. But he did. And while he is sleeping, she has someone come and cut off all of his hair. And we know that strength does not come from hair. We know that it is a faith thing and it is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon Samson, but it's connected there and somehow for us in this picture, they cut off his hair. And the point is, he loses his power. And the Philistines come and they grab him. He wakes up and he's like, what are you going to do with me? I'm, I've done this for so many days now. And he tries to take them off, but he has no strength anymore. He is not the mighty man with all the power. And so what do they do? They take him. They bind him just as they would any of us, and they gouge out his eyes so he cannot see. They put him in prison, and they make him push the wheel around, grinding their grain for the rest of his days. And so, as we come to the end, though, very end of the days, if you'll remember, here is this great judge, the great deliverer of Israel, and now it seems like all is lost because he has no eyes, he can't see, and he is now a prisoner of these Philistines. And one day, as they are celebrating, as they worship idols, their God, little g, they gather thousands of people together in whatever structure they had built. And they say, hey, let's get Samson. He's the, he's the Israelite. He worships the true God, they say. But we'll just show that our gods are better than his God. And so they bring him in. They make fun of him. And they just want to ridicule him in front of everyone. And here I think we see the first real humility in Samson. What does he do? He prays. God, let my strength come back. And what happens? He ends up putting his hand between the structural foundations of the building and he pushes them so that the entire building comes down and kills thousands of people including himself in fact he killed more in that one event than he killed the entire duration of his life and says the bible says that during this time, it's not clear exactly how or when and all of that happened, but he judged Israel for 20 years, or up to 20 years at that time. And so we see peace coming to Israel again during that time. Well, what's our point? 
He is a Nazarite. He pictures the true Nazarite, Jesus. Do you remember the words of the angel to Mary? Recorded in Matthew 21. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will do what? He will save his people from their sins. See, Samson, his purpose for that time was to deliver Israel from their enemies. In the same kind of way today, Jesus is the one who delivers his people from their sins. That is what I preach every week. For God so loved the world, the evil world, the sinful world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Today, Jesus is our deliverer. He is the true Nazarite. Today, we have rest from our enemies, particularly from the penalty of sin, which means Jesus took our sins upon himself. We no longer bear them. We no longer bear the penalty. And as we talked about last week, God doesn't look down upon his people and say, you are condemned. He condemned Christ. That is the cross. That is what we preach. That is the great exchange. God takes our sin upon Christ, and Christ gives us his righteousness, and he no longer condemns us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so in the same way that Samson delivered Israel for that time, Jesus delivers us from, this, from, the, from the great powers of our enemies, particularly sin. And one day, He will save us from the very presence of sin, and the last enemy will be death itself. And so Jesus is our deliverer. Let me mention two more truths briefly as I try and, and conclude. Number seven, Israel, during the time of Jesus, was subject to the Gentiles, the Romans. As the Jews, <clears throat> as, in the same way as during um, Samson's life, they were under the rule of the Philistines. Well, when Jesus was born, who was the power? Rome was the power. So during the time of Jesus, Israel was under the bondage of the Romans. Israel did not enjoy their own sovereign rule, but instead they were ruled by an ungodly nation. Same was true with Samson. But the Philistines, brothers and sisters, and any other kingdom of this world comes and goes at the sovereign will of God. They come and go. Kings rise and they fall. They always fall. They might rise, but they will fall. But what does Jesus do? Chapter 1 of Hebrews, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so, looking back to Samson and Israel, they will be ruled by many nations. They will come and go. But not so with the Lord Jesus. So the only thing that we await is His second coming and the consummation of all things. And I'm going to read that finishing up. Finally, eighth comparison this morning. It was in Samson's death that he brought the greatest victory. This is what 
Christianity is all about. This is why we are here today. This is why we take the Lord's Supper. We remember His body. His body that did what? His body that was laid down on the cross as a sacrifice. With Samson, we can say he laid down his life, did he not? There in that building that day, he he knew he was going to die. Give me strength, Lord. The building's going to come down on my head. But in my death, be honored, be glorified. And so when he died, more Philistines were killed during his entire, than during his entire 20 years or so of life there. And apparently, a little bit later, if you read Judges, it's like a cycle. Israel has peace for a period, then not peace. Peace, then not peace. If we keep past the Judges, we see the same kind of thing. And so this Nazarite, Samson, led them for a time. But Jesus, when he laid down his life as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, his offering is once for all. You remember in Hebrews? This is a huge theme over and over. One sacrifice. Not all the sacrifices of all those animals, but one sacrifice. Samson laid down his life that one final time, but the Lord Jesus lays down his life one time. Jesus' death was perfect, and it was holy. And in his death, in his sacrifice, he delivers sinners. Let me ask you, have you sinned this week? Have you lost it with your spouse? Children, have you been disobedient to your parents? Children, have you been disobedient at school? Have you listened to your teacher? Have you looked at something on the internet or your phone? You shouldn't have looked at. These are sins. The Bible says very clearly. I just mentioned just a few things here. Have you sinned? (laughs) Well, Christ came to take those sins upon Himself. And it was... As we look back to Samson, the picture that he gives, one time, but Israel comes and goes, Christ laid down his life once and all. So I would say to you this morning, if you are not a Christian, trust Christ. Believe on him. Maybe you've heard these words for the first time, and you thought, I've never thought about Christ being the true Nazarite who lays down his life for our sins. Today, what a picture we have of Samson, the Nazarite. And his place in Scripture is not given that we might simply take lessons from his life. I could preach Samson, and I, there are a lot of lessons. The sovereignty of God and working in a sinful people. The sovereignty of God to work through bad things. The work of God to keep his people through all of those things. And all of those things would be true. And at the end of the day, we don't see a lot of good in Samson, do we? But we see his purpose really was to picture for us the one true Nazarite, the Lord Jesus Christ. With this in mind, I'm going to read Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4. And that will be our closing this morning. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, we know what comes next. 
He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. He's not just a Nazarite holy to the Lord doing His will. He is the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Here we get into the essence. Christ is as God from before the creations of the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you again for these words. Thank you for Samson. May we never read Samson the same way again. Even as our young people are going through the story of Joseph. Joseph is so much a type of Christ as well. May we never read Joseph May we ever never see Melchizedek just as a, who he is for that time. Father, may you use Samson as just an example of how we look and how this may bring the Old Testament to life for us as we look for Christ as he is there all over the place. And may we never read Samson the same way. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us as Christians to leave this place today to be godly in all that we do. and Help us to be bold in our witness to share the gospel with people. Help us to be good fathers and mothers and children and grandparents and great-grandparents and all of our roles as we work in this world and go to different places. Please work in our hearts greatly, Father, that Christ might be more beautiful to us. We just give you this time. We give you this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.